mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Oh, my brothers and sisters, we are in mourning today. Some people are outraged. Some people understand but are disappointed. Some people really feel like Khloe Kardashian's decision to have yet another baby with the philandering fuckhead that is Tristan Thompson is just an overall letdown and a slap in the face when we were all rooting for her. Tyra Banks, listen, I am sure that you've heard the news. I woke up late in the night last night. Fred, my child, who just turned 13 months yesterday, he does not sleep through the night. Uh, he sort of does, but he has milk. So I'm up between four and five times in the night just giving him a little bit of milk to put him back to sleep. No, I don't want your advice on how to stop this. I respond to my child's needs. But I woke up at maybe 1.30 and TMZ in America had dropped the devastating news that before Tristan was caught... Um, out with these legal documents. You would have seen it in an episode of The Kardashians. It was just caught red-handed, black and white. He tried to silence this woman who was suing him for paternity. This episode was recorded December 3rd, 2021. It is now July 14th, 2022. Tristan, uh, in the meantime, was proven to be the father of this baby boy conceived out of a one-night stand on his birthday, allegedly. But, you know, where you see one rat, there are 100 rats you don't see. So we can assume pretty safely that while Tristan, the father of Chloe's daughter, beautiful daughter, um, was trying to win her back, trying to move in with her, trying to become a family, really pushing hard, by the way. And remember this, ladies and gentlemen, pushing hard to uh, contribute to the deposit of the house, to be an owner of the house, to really get his claws into Chloe permanently. I mean... Having a child with someone is definitely the best way to do that. But he was also trying to get into her financial investments, get in her house. He's the father of this baby. And everyone was really upset in the episode. And they never alluded to the fact that Chloe and Tristan were expecting another baby. But they definitely said, you know, she wanted one. This is a little boy. Chloe wanted a boy. And you know that Chloe is trying to rebuild her family. These women have some type of fixation with and and, you know you can get into the psychology of it as much as you want they lost their father um their mother had four kids with one man and then divorced him and it it means they're all siblings and they've had this closeness and then she went on to have two more kids with Caitlyn Jenner formerly Bruce at the time 
And they're sisters. They're all sisters, no matter what. You know, they have different fathers. Oh, well. But for some reason, these Kardashian girls, Courtney, Kim, and now Chloe, are like, all of my children must have the same dad. So now it comes to pass that Chloe and Tristan are expecting a baby soon. This baby was conceived, allegedly, before the news broke out that Tristan had been unfaithful and impregnated this random Instagram model. And I have looked her up on Instagram, by the way, and I'm not impressed. And I don't, you know, it's not her fault. She doesn't have loyalties to Chloe the way Tristan does. But I think you know what you're doing when there's someone in a very high profile relationship and you slide into their DMs and you go, I'm going to give you a birthday present in your hotel room. Like have some self-respect. I never want to work again. So I'm going to wait until I ovulate and then message every professional athlete in my postcode and just try every month. I really think that there is a demographic of women who does this. (laughs) on ovulation week every month they go who's rich in my area it's my retirement plan in a way I respect them of course but overall it's when you're hurting someone else a lot of people feel like Chloe deserves this I don't think anyone ever deserves to be in pain even if you've made a mistake in the past because you lose them how you get them and Tristan was expecting a baby with his former partner when he got with Chloe allegedly And Chloe knew this, and according to the former girlfriend, says she made her life very difficult at the time. So, you know, people tell you who they are. People show you who they are, and you can choose to believe them or ignore it. But anyway, I've done the math on this. The episode was recorded December 3rd when all of this came out about Tristan. Chloe's crying on the phone. Kim finds out first because, of course, she's awake for an early workout session in the garage. So they say, oh, no, no, this surrogate who's expecting the the baby for Chloe and Tristan she was uh, pregnant in November and this news came out in December so the very at the very least according to those dates this woman is like 35 weeks pregnant and she'll be full term next week and this baby is coming anytime or it could be even further along if it was the beginning of November then the woman could be like up to 38, 39 weeks. I mean, the baby's allegedly going to be here every day. But if the baby is not here any day, if it takes longer than a couple of months, then I will know and we will all know that this is a lie and that Chloe had a baby with Tristan knowing that he had cheated yet again. And you know what? You have to allow an adult woman the opportunity to make that decision. I cannot believe that the Kardashians have not seen or definitely not acknowledged that they've seen my sitcom, The Duchess, on Netflix because it is the Kardashian story. It is a woman who is traumatized from having been let down. She's had bad experiences with men. She finds it very difficult to move on, so she doubles down and tries to have another baby with her ex because she thinks, well... Fewer stops on the school run. They all go to the same place every weekend. I can see the logic, definitely, in wanting to have all your children by the same person, admin-wise. Not that I judge or look down or slut-shame anyone who has, like, different children's fathers. I do look down on people who have different children's mothers, though. I have to be honest. I do. I do. Um, (laughs) But I feel like I just need someone who knows the Kardashians. Jamila? Jamila Jamil knows them. Someone reach out to the Kardashians 
and tell them that I created The Duchess on Netflix for them. No, I'm not trying to get a second season of it. I would rather die. But I enjoyed making the first season. I made it for women like these who think outside the box, who have very relatable reasons for doing what they do. And on the surface, you go, what the fuck? Why would you do that? You deserve so much better. But look at Kim. Kim has four children with Kanye. Bang, bang, bang. Had them all very close together. Those children will always visit the same dad at Christmas and they will always travel together for those, you know, contact trips, whatever. They can get around the speakerphone and have one phone call. It's all very seamless. And then now Kim has a wonderful life in her 40s. Is she 39? I think she's, oh no, she just turned 40, right? She can move on with Pete and have a second sort of life. And maybe she will have kids with Pete. Maybe not, but I get it. And Courtney, same thing. Maybe she will have a baby with Travis, but I understand wanting to be like one, two, three kids with Scott. They're all Scott's kids. I only have to do one drop. Well, my nanny or assistant only has to do one drop off. Watch The Duchess Kardashians just because a lot of people don't understand where I'm going with it. And I had the same line of thinking as you for a brief second. I went, oh, it would make sense just to have another one with your ex, even if you don't fancy him, even if you hate him, even if you get along or you don't get along or you're just friends or whatever. I see the sense in it. Let's explore the comedy around that if it were to actually happen. Um, And now, you know, it's not very funny maybe when it's your real life. I was never going to actually do it. But, uh. There you go. Speaking of nannies, assistants, babysitters, you know my reluctance to have a babysitter. I don't know what it is about me. I just feel like I don't want anyone else raising my kids. And this feels like a very high horse to put yourself on. Like, oh no, I, you know, I do not do that actually. I I do it all. I uh, am a mother, a wife, a seductress, a caretaker. I clean my own home. You know, there is an honor in that that is bullshit because no one can do it all. And if you try to do it all, you're usually letting someone down. Some people don't have that option. They just have to try to juggle it the best they can. But I am in a position where I do have that option. And I've chosen instead to spend as much time of my waking life and sleeping life with my kids. And so my agent is getting calls being like, oh, you know, Catherine needs to submit this transcript. Oh, well, you know, Catherine has to do this press this day. And oh, Catherine's podcast is late yet again. And it's not her. She didn't have these kids. So, you know, we do have a babysitter. She is on full time, but she comes three days a week. But I have to confess lately, especially in this heat, I've been enjoying it. And I've been saying, please, will you come four days this week? please, will you stay for an extra hour next week? And um, I'm feeling really guilty about that because I will be honest, Fred loves this woman. She's great with him. Fred loves us. But I mean, I never, Violet hated everyone but me, like aggressively, even my own mother. When Violet was small, my mom could not even look after her. And my mom's great with little kids. But Violet was like, fuck no, you are not my mother. And she knew all this sign language and she would be telling my mom off in sign language at 18 months or 12 months, whatever, whenever I went home to Canada. Oh, it was hot. So it would have been 12 months. And uh, (laughs) Fred is different. Fred's like, yeah, I'll go with you. Are we going somewhere vehicle related? Can I look at some wheels or planes while I'm there? Yeah, let's go. Maybe boys are just more chill or maybe Fred is just more chill. But 
I've done the unthinkable today. I have a bunch of chores lined up. It's usually Miriam's day off on a Thursday. I asked her to come in. I said, Miriam, it's too hot. And I have booked a facial at one o'clock through Urban Massage. Urban Massage is this app that if you live in London or maybe surrounding areas, I don't know, they can come to your house and give you like deep tissue massages, sports massages. They do nails, pedicures. They do uh, facials. I don't know what else they do. Probably hair. I don't know. Um, And I feel really guilty about it. And what's even worse is I'm going to be getting this facial in my kitchen right in front of her face. Like what kind of Notting Hill parent is like, you look after my child. I'm going to do a bunch of work in the morning. Then right in front of you, I'm going to lay on a table and receive a facial while you clean the kitchen around me. This is not how I was raised. But I just had to do it. I'm sorry. I don't feel well. You guys know I'm pregnant. I've been pregnant for a while. And here's how I did that. If you are looking, well, maybe I should do a separate episode. I got pregnant while breastfeeding the first time I tried. And to be honest with you, I didn't think it was going to work because I am 39. Well, I was 38 when I got pregnant. And I thought, well, we got to get these kids out of the way. You never know how long you have. And I love kids more than any. I love my kids. You know, I don't love everyone's kids. But I just thought, well, let's go for it. I could tell, okay, I'm going to get into some like anatomy discussions now. If you don't want to hear about things such as discharge, just fast forward the podcast a little bit. But I think I have a lot of uh, male listeners, a lot of non-binary listeners, mostly female listeners, mostly of age where they're thinking about fertility Either way, whether you want kids or you don't, you know, I feel like it's interesting information. So breastfeeding, breastfeeding, breastfeeding. I can't say exactly when because I never want people to know how far along I am. You should never tell people your due date or how far along you are. If you never tell them, they can never start hassling you around the time. They can never start being like, baby's almost here. How long to the baby? How long? Like those questions from your neighbors every time you go in the driveway. I'm not here for it. So when's my due date? I never tell anyone. I don't know. It's none of my business. It's none of yours. That's my stock answer. People go, oh, when's the baby do? I go, I don't know. Sometime this year? Vague. So I'm breastfeeding Fred all the time, day and night. Some people can conceive right away when they're breastfeeding. It is not a reliable form of birth control officially, though I think it is. Everything that I've researched says, yeah, I mean, when you're breastfeeding that much, exclusively breastfeeding day and night, very, very, very seldomly will you ovulate. Like, I think you have a 2 or 3% chance, according to their data. But then I know that data is not always reliable, and I don't know what their means of collecting that data is. And anecdotally, I know women, two women, two, more than two? Yeah. I only know the two women, but they got pregnant like six weeks after having their kids. It was a big surprise the first time they had sex. That was not happening with me. I definitely wasn't ovulating. You know you're ovulating because your pussy gets a bit wet, right? And I didn't have like notable dryness, but I bled for a start. For the first eight weeks, I was bleeding heavily. So, I mean, nothing was going on. And then I just felt like I wasn't ovulating. And the reason you don't ovulate is because your prolactin being super high makes your estrogen really low or your estrogen drops so that your prolactin can go high. And uh, that's what makes the milk. And you can't ovulate without this delicate balance of estrogen and progesterone. Fine. So then one day I'm walking around and I feel 
you know, damp. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I felt a little more attracted to my husband than usual, which is already 10 out of 10. And I thought, huh, I think I'm ovulating this month. You can ovulate without a period. You ovulate around two weeks before your period every month, assuming you have a regular cycle. So it stands to reason that when you first ovulate after having a baby, the first time you do that will be before you get a period. I had a sense. I was like, oh, I think I'm ovulating. And uh, I didn't try or anything. I didn't think about days. I didn't, I just thought, well, who knows? We'll see. Bam, two weeks later, I get my first period after having Fred. And I thought, oh, I was right. Isn't that funny? I'm pretty in tune with my body. So then I started tracking. I went, hmm, we should try then. If I'm ovulating again, you never know how long it takes. You don't always ovulate regularly after having a baby and breastfeeding, especially, you know, I was still breastfeeding him in the morning and the night. And uh, I thought, well, let's wait and see. Let's track this, like, you know, all the things. There are ways that people track this. They take ovulation tests. Mine are always negative for some reason. The ovulation test measures the, like, luteal, is that what it's called, hormone, that spikes usually before you release an egg. So if you pee on these ovulation sticks, you usually get a pretty good indication, like, two days before you ovulate, that you're going to ovulate. But again... Some people have different graphs of like how this hormone spikes and falls. So mine are kind of, even with Fred, like mine were negative. Uh, They're just not reliable for me. Other people track their temperature. I feel like this is massive overkill to wake up every morning and take your temperature because it will only shift by like a couple degree, like not even a a couple, like 0.5 of a degree. No, not for me. And the best way, I think, for me anyway, the most reliable way is just you feel like wetter sorry there's a change in your cervical mucus I did say this would be anatomical where it's like pretty dry when you don't need to facilitate the journey of a sperm to your egg and then it gets sort of like (laughs) maybe chalky and it gets egg white consistency like really slippery that is the ideal you know cervical mucus that you want for conception and it's an indication that you're probably ovulating so I waited for that, didn't I? And, you know, you know, we are a healthy married couple, but you really got to like go for it on these days in a meaningful way. You got to like do it on purpose on that day, even if you're busy. And Bobby has his own theories with this. He's like, okay, we cannot do it every day around that time. Bobby's a sportsman. He's like, you got to wait two days, do it every two days or do it every three days. You don't want to be doing it every day or it won't be like a meaningful load is not the word he used. But this is his theory. I am paraphrasing however he says it. Or maybe he just wants to golf and he's busy. He doesn't want to bang every day. I don't really know. But he says (laughs) to get the most meaningful load. Sorry for repeating that, but I want you to remember it well because it does work. According to us, you have to wait like two or three days. So you do that, you know, maybe twice or three times in that week. And then I was touring. I can't say what city again because I don't want anyone trying to guess like Chloe's surrogate, which day we're having a baby. But um, I was on stage and I had kind of forgotten about trying. It's not like I thought it would work. I hate to drudge up bad news, but a lot of you know that before Fred, I had two experiences with pregnancy loss. Uh, One, the first one was a total shock. I just didn't think it could happen after the first sort of five, six weeks. Happened around 10 weeks, we found out in a scan. 
we uh, there was no bleeding or other indication. It was just the scan, which we booked on the way to a gig for some reason, not knowing that our lives were going to crumble around us and I would still have to go to Liverpool and do this gig. And then the second time, I got pregnant again straight away, and we found out this sad news, again, at a scan around 12 or 13 weeks. So, again, I just thought, well, let's try and see how far we get. So I'm on stage, and I felt like a sharp pain, like period pain, at exactly 10 p.m. when I was finishing my show. And it lasted for about two or three minutes. Some people say that they feel implantation. I felt this 100% with Fred. I knew when he implanted, it was 1.45 in the afternoon, about probably six days after I ovulated. It should happen around six days after. It can happen more than that or less than that. And a lot of women don't feel implantation at all. But I definitely felt it with Fred. I don't remember if I felt it with Violet or certainly not with the miscarriages. I think I wasn't paying attention. But uh, And Violet was so long ago. But I 100% felt it with Fred. It was like a sharp pain. And I 100% felt it with this baby. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm getting my period. And I didn't even expect to get a period that month. I thought, well, who knows? We'll just like give it a go. But I could be late because these things have to even themselves out after uh, your first period when you're breastfeeding you might not get a period for three months plus there was all this information going around that said that the vaccine is making people skip periods and doing all these things covid was rife I mean who knows so I got home that night and I said to Bobby I had like sharp pains on stage who knows I could be getting my period it could be implantation like I felt with Fred and I think Bobby was asleep so I didn't get a huge reaction and then (laughs) Uh, very, very soon after, like days later, um, I had a positive pregnancy test. I feel like the most reliable pregnancy test for you to take. You can take the at-home cheap ones. I mean, there are all these things online of like early signs you're pregnant. Those are 1,000% bullshit because they're so vague. It's like your breasts feel slightly tender. And maybe a lot of these things will happen after you have a positive test anyway. So just wait two weeks and you don't even have to wait two weeks I would say wait 10 days after you have sex most circumstances with me I can get a positive test like eight days after I think with both my most recent kids um but um just take the fucking test and I think the blue ink tests like clear blue I have heard of uh, evaporation lines or lines that are not super reliable. The at-home cheap tests. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go on Amazon and get a pack of like 50 tests that cost, I don't know, five pounds, 10 pounds. And those tests are just like the little strip pieces of paper, basically. They will give you a positive line. I got a positive line on that, but it was super, super faint. But the first response pink dye test is almost foolproof. It'll be clearly clearly positive so early it's amazing although I have heard stories of people getting negative and then they're disappointed but then two days three days later they get a positive not with me me historically and please remember I've been pretty much solidly pregnant or breastfeeding since December 2019 uh always I get a test positive pretty early it's different for everyone and then I just kind of put it out of my mind And I've been in the news lately for being very vocal about denying I was pregnant with Fred. Not denying it. I just didn't tell anyone I was pregnant with Fred because I had a lot of jobs on the horizon. Of course, you do worry that you'll be a liability. 
that you won't be promoted at work or you could just lose your job at work or you'd be passed over for jobs. And I know this is different in every industry, but I think it's also like something women experience in every industry where we go, uh, because since I said it, so many people have reached out and they've been like, yeah, I was passed over because uh, of discrimination over my pregnancy. And in my industry, to be very clear, I don't blame the channels and I don't blame the production companies because they often underwrite your pregnancy, which means they will insure you when the insurance companies won't. And this isn't me like being a troublemaker. I'd be like, I don't know. It's black and white on their websites. These insurance companies put, list pregnancy, menstruation, anything related to childbirth that makes you incapacitated or like incapable to work. That is an exclusion in the policy. And again, since I talked about this, lots of people who work for insurance companies have reached out to me and said, yes, I can't believe how many times I've had to go through documents and look for pregnancies. And yes, it's an exclusion on all of our policies too. It's crazy. And when they put menstruation or childbirth or any matters of the womb, don't think that that just includes someone's choice to get pregnant. That's just your biological existence. It, The umbrella when they want to put anything related to menstruation, then that's endometriosis, that's fibroids, that's anything related to you being a woman uh, that or a trans man having, you know, uterus, whatever. That excludes you if it's a problem on set. And then I've had also like these little pick-me's writing me being like, well, I can understand why, Catherine, because it's a big risk to the insurance company. If you're pregnant, they don't want you to get hurt and they'll lose their investment. Yeah, I get that. Yes, insurance companies don't ever want to pay out for anything. That's their goal is to make as much money as they can and never pay money. I get it. And if they can find something that might be a risk to them, they want to exclude it. Yes, I understand. Thank you for explaining the obvious, but it doesn't make it right. That's not the only reason I didn't discuss my pregnancy with Fred. It's something that we didn't even discuss in the house because, of course, I had just come out of having two miscarriages. I didn't want to tempt fate or like jinx it, for lack of a better term. But also, I was really aware, because people started reaching out to me when I spoke about miscarriage, I was really aware that a pregnancy announcement can hurt someone's feelings. And it sounds silly because, of course... It, you, you're happy for other people. It never hurt my feelings when I saw other people were expecting. I thought, oh, that's wonderful news for them. But it reminds you of your own loss a little bit. You, there's a part of you that goes, mm, I wish that was me. So because I was in all these conversations with people like me who had experienced repeated pregnancy loss and were looking for answers, I just... I just didn't feel like it was something that I wanted to be excited about or share or even acknowledge in my own household. We really didn't talk about it a lot. And sure, like this time, I'm worried about the same. You you never want to tempt fate. Um, I've spoken before about autoimmune protocol because it was hypothesized never proven that's what's annoying about this stuff is people go well it's not proven no it's not but I mean that's because not a lot of funding goes into studying this stuff it's very difficult to get something over that line of being FDA approved um, I don't really know I'm not a medicine man but because I have celiac because I have lupus because I have autoimmune markers it would stand to reason that I would also have an autoimmune response to a pregnancy and that I would be more at risk for my own 
uh, immune system attacking both my healthy cells and organs, but also a growing embryo. I saw a doctor in Surrey during my pregnancy with Fred. He's called Dr. Shahata. A lot of people ask me to remind them of his name. You can read all about it in my book. I think there's a whole chapter on exactly what his protocol was. And um, he's a, a really wonderful man. I love anyone who thinks outside the box. And anecdotally, anyway, he's helped lots of women who've had, I mean, 20 miscarriages. It's amazing what he can do. And he just looks at the full picture. So if you are not conceiving or you think you should be conceiving or you're having early miscarriages or even if you're doing IVF and those aren't sticking and you don't know why, a lot of places will just be like, well, try again. And they'll chuck another 20 grand up your foof, for lack of a better term. And you're not really finding out the answer. They'll put out the smoke, but not the fires. I'm happy to say that in this country, a lot of those clinics do look at the full picture and they'll look at autoimmune. They can prescribe blood thinners or steroids or intralipids or aspirin even, like all these different things to help. But in Canada, it's not so common. And I know a lot of people from my school, a lot of my friends back home have dealt with just repeated implantation failure or pregnancy loss and their clinic is like, yeah, no idea why. And they'll they'll say, well, what about autoimmune? And their clinic goes, no, 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 that's all bullshit. Well, I mean, the answer probably lies somewhere in the middle. So for this pregnancy, I was never really sure whether that full autoimmune protocol was what I needed, though it gave us beautiful, healthy Fred. But I felt like my body reacted really badly to it. If you will recall, maybe you don't recall, but it was it was something that was tough for me to ignore. I gained like three stone in the first three months of pregnancy with Fred. And lots of people reached out to be like, Catherine, what have you done this time? You've put too much filler in your lips, too much filler in your cheeks. You've gone overboard with Botox. You've had a really messed up facelift. You look like shit. What are you doing? You've gained loads of weight. You know, I had all these speculations. And then some people also were like, well, I can clearly see that you're pregnant. It was neither of those things. It wasn't just that I was pregnant. It was that I was taking a buttload of steroids, not in the ass. I wasn't taking them rectally, but I was taking a buttload of steroids, which if you are not an MMA fighter or a professional baseball player, uh, this type of steroid will make you gain loads of weight, but also hold on to water. And I think my face was just full of like, water retention and I just got super fat with Fred and I was really hungry too so I mean it doesn't matter though at the time it was a humbling experience I just thought god (laughs) Bobby has had this wife who's been pretty solidly pregnant for all of his marriage and we've had like trauma and good things happen and bad things happen and we've been so busy with work and now He has to like medically look after me and watch me just transform into a blimp. He says he didn't even notice. He was blinded by love and money, but he's such a supportive, like wonderful husband. He didn't really say anything, but the internets said it all. And I could see in the mirror that I just didn't even recognize my own face. And that's fine. If that's what you have to do to become a sacred vessel who creates the miracle of life, I understand that that's a great privilege not afforded to everyone. Some people who deserve it and want it so badly, they can't do that for whatever reason. And this is, again, why I want to talk about autoimmune protocol all the time in case it helps one person. 
I think it's really important to try and to just put your vanity aside and go, all right, steroids are going to do this to me, fine. Or even if you're not on steroids, you just have a normal pregnancy and your body changes in a way that you don't recognize. Whatever, you know, you do what you have to do. At my age, I just really don't care. I might have cared when I was 20. I really didn't give a shit. But it was an indication to me that maybe I didn't need all that intervention. I thought maybe it's a bit much. So this time... We were super relaxed. I, again, put it out of my mind. I just got on with work. And again, I didn't tell anyone. <sighs> Not because, first of all, I think, I think I'm right and the insurance companies are wrong. So fuck them. I feel like if you want to make being a woman an exclusion for your insurance policy, fuck you. I'll lie to you all day. Like, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm in a privileged position where channels and producers will probably underwrite my insurance, but I don't know that for a fact. And I'm always thinking about other people like when I was starting out and I received an email when I was pregnant with Violet in black and white from a big production company from a major channel saying, oh, because you're pregnant, you can't be on this show because we can't insure you. I have that email still because I've been keeping receipts since 2008, bitch. That was just the reality. You will receive that in writing. They're so bold, they'll write it to you. They'll be like, we can't insure you so if you're not on the job because you're pregnant. Because you are pregnant, the answer is no. That was so hurtful at the time, and I always know that it can happen again, not, not just to me, but to anyone else and to all these other women coming up in my industry. They might not be someone that the production company is willing to do the extra admin and the extra work. You know, you, this is why it's so important to have allies in production and in all levels of film and TV making because it takes them to go, hang on, wait, what do you mean we can't insure this performer? All right, well, let's have a conversation about underwriting this insurance. But anyway, so no, I didn't tell anyone at first, not just because of this insurance issue, but because you never know in the first trimester. It's this thing where they're like, oh, congratulations, but definitely don't tell anyone. Oh, but in America... If you terminate your pregnancy, you're killing a baby. But it's not a real baby. Just relax. It's You don't know if it's going to last. Oh, it didn't last? Well, don't be upset. It was only the first few weeks. Like, it's it's such a loaded time of uncertainty. And, like, you're really in a danger zone. And you're not supposed to tell anyone in your family. So why would you tell your boss? So I didn't tell anyone. And um, for the autoimmune protocol, I kind of did my own thing. I do not recommend that you do your own thing necessarily. I feel like you should always be under medical supervision. And, well, obviously I don't feel like that. I don't feel like I should necessarily always be under medical supervision. But I feel like you should. Officially, I have to tell you that you can't just go off on a whim and do your own autoimmune protocol. But I have dealt with autoimmune for so long and I've researched so much about it. I just felt like I knew what I was doing. So this time, I did not go to see Dr. Shahata. I did not take any steroids. From the moment I found out, no, from before I found out I was pregnant, from the first time it was an indication that I was ovulating and then I got my period, I started taking blood thinners. I had leftover blood thinners, injections. I'm talking about Clexine, Fragmin. I had these leftover injections from my pregnancy with Fred. And I started taking them one every night. Uh, there are doctors who don't believe in blood thinners. The reason I believe in them is I have seen 
studies. I have not done research where I've peer reviewed all this stuff, but I've read a lot of stuff that I know this doesn't count as research. This is just reading things online, but I've read things online and studies that suggest that even if you don't have a blood coagulation issue, which I don't, that taking blood thinners, when you think about an embryo and how tiny the blood vessels are and the formation of that placenta and how tiny those blood vessels are, they say that blood thinners can, maybe not, can increase endometrial receptivity, which means can make the little whatever villi in your uh, endometrium reach out and kind of make more branches, if that makes sense, of teeny tiny blood vessels so that that embryo can implant properly. And that is really crucial to a healthy pregnancy, that it's conception from the very first moment that that embryo burrows in, that it can grab on really tight and form those connections, that communication between the womb and the embryo and the placenta it needs to be really strong. Don't just take blood thinners by yourself. I were, I was, I were prescribed them before and I had leftover ones and this is why I did it again. And then I made sure to take my hydroxychloroquine. I take 400 milligrams a day. That is a drug made famous by Donald Trump during all the COVID stuff, but I took it for lupus when Violet was small, before I got pregnant with Violet and I was first diagnosed with lupus. And then I didn't believe in it. I was like, what's this doing? And I didn't take it at all for about a decade. And I started taking it again after the miscarriages because I had to bite the bullet and say, okay, well, maybe I do have active lupus, even though I don't think I do. And I started taking 250 milligrams of hydroxychloroquine. And then I spoke to my good friend, Maeve Gamble, who's on another episode of this podcast talking about autoimmune issues. And she said, because of my weight, no, not in an offensive way. She just said, we like to give a certain amount of milligrams per pound that you weigh, and you should be taking about 400. So then I started taking 400 milligrams of hydroxychloroquine per day. You can't even get this without a prescription, and you might not need it at all unless you have lupus or other autoimmune factors. Um, And then I cut out gluten completely. Because celiac is not an allergy, it is an autoimmune disease. And even though if I ate bread, it wouldn't do anything to me, I think it's doing something sinister inside because I do test positive for celiac in a blood test. So my sister, for example, is so celiac that if she were to eat wheat, barley, rye, any yeast, she'd shit herself on a dog walk. I won't, but something else is happening inside. So I just definitely, definitely cut out all traces of gluten. It's not hard to do. I know a lot of celiacs hate me because they're like, Catherine, gluten's everywhere. All right, well, don't eat it. (laughs) I don't eat it. I don't ever have traces of gluten in anything. It's maybe annoying for people who love stuff that has gluten in it and who want to eat a lot of packaged foods, but, you know, have a peach. You're not allowed gluten. Don't have it. Life's not fair. So I don't eat any gluten. And then I started ringing around places trying to find intralipids. Intralipids are this like fatty soy egg white IV bag that they give sometimes uh, small babies in ICU or people in ICU to calm the immune system. I don't know why it allegedly calms the immune system. A lot of people think that it doesn't, but Dr. Shahata prescribed me intralipid infusions every four weeks in my pregnancy with Fred. And I thought, yeah, this was a good thing. It's not a steroid. It's not, you know, super invasive. I can go somewhere every four weeks and have these infusions. I found a place in London that would do that. 
it is an IVF clinic. It's called Fertility Academy, but they will just meet with you and discuss your blood tests and give you intralipids if they feel like that's what you need. You can't always find a doctor who believes in this, so I was really happy to find this doctor. I would have gone to Dr. Shahata, but it's so far for me. I just found this place in London, and I told the doctor, here's all my notes from my last pregnancy. I believe I need intralipids. He said, cool. Well, it's not, you know, we had a longer conversation and a full consultation. But I started getting intralipids there every four weeks. I was always talking on this podcast about intralipids. Um, That's why. And then on one occasion, I even tried IVIG, which you can look up. It's more uh, serious than intralipids. It's like all these um, antibodies from 400 people's blood. It's way more expensive than intralipids. And it uh, is just another way. You know, there's like 10 ways to skin a cat. It's another way to skin a cat. I tried that. And after I tried that, for the first time in my life, I had a blood test that came back very normal. I have never, since I was 19 years old, had the right amount of white blood cells, red blood cells. I've had really low hemoglobin. I've had, and and like I've had so many doctors just not even blink at this. I had to have a bunch of pre-surgery tests before I got breast implants all the way back, kids. Yeah, 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 2004. And even then, before I was ever diagnosed with lupus, the doctor was like, well, isn't that funny? You have no white blood cells. Well, you must have an infection. Anyway, go ahead with the surgery. But uh, those were indications of all my autoimmune things, it turns out. But after this IVIG, I had like all the normal stuff. It was wild. So again, I'm not a medicine man. I don't know if IVIG actually does anything or if it's going to be right for you. But I tried it once. I did intralipids the other times. And then that just seemed to work. And I carried on with work and I carried on with everything. And I didn't do anything else special. You will probably not have noticed in my face because I haven't gained any weight yet. But suffice to say, we made it past like the danger zone. And now we are somewhere in the second trimester. And I don't do any of the autoimmune stuff anymore. Of course, I still take hydroxychloroquine. I don't do intralipids. Some doctors think you should continue those till 31 weeks. Some doctors think you don't have to. I just decided, well, I think the fetus is strong enough now. I'm not going to do it. The placenta basically is pretty strong in your second trimester. I could be wrong, but I feel like this is the right path for me. And I definitely don't eat gluten. And I take 150 milligrams of aspirin every day. I no longer take the blood thinner injections. Oh, the Fertility Academy man prescribed me more blood thinners too because he agreed, yeah, that's good for you to take. So to sum it up, if you're having trouble, if you have a suspicion that you have an autoimmune response, there are uh, so many different things that you could do. I think that we will never really know what the holy grail is, what the main answer is, but it's really important to see a doctor. Again, I can't stress enough, the time, the this protocol that I sort of devised on my own was because I've already seen a really great doctor and I did see a doctor who prescribed me the intralipids and prescribed me the blood thinners after I started. Um, but you need to see someone in the first instance and do this huge blood plan- panel and find out what you need. The first time I did hydroxychloroquine, blood thinner injections, steroids. Oh, vitamin D is really important too. 
Oh, I've also had shit on this podcast because I say that you need to take 4,000 international units of vitamin D a day. And then I had all these nurses being like, Catherine, no, the uh, national expectation is 400 international units a day. Don't tell people to take more vitamin D than they need. All right, listen, nurse, if you were really so smart, would you be working 100 hours a week for a government that doesn't value your time? No, I'm just kidding. I love nurses, and I think that you should all earn minimum 200 grand a year. But I know that the advice is that, but but I think the advice is wrong. And when I took a blood test with this new doctor, he was like, oh, my gosh, wow, I never see. You know, in, in the U.K., vitamin D levels are usually low, but your vitamin D level is right. And I said, yeah. I take 4,000 international units a day. And he said, no, you don't. You, won't, you wouldn't be taking that much. I said, no, yes, I am. And he said, no, 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 no. I said, go back to what you said before about my vitamin D being perfect. He was like, yeah, it is. It's perfect. I was like, well, bitch, I take 4,000 milligrams a day. International units. So that's what I did. And in this pregnancy, I did pretty much the same. No gluten, hydroxychloroquine, blood thinner injections for the first trimester, vitamin D, um, uh, intralipids, no steroids. So with Fred, I took steroids. With this pregnancy, I took no steroids. Fred is Fred. This pregnancy has made it to the second trimester. So, you know, who knows? Who knows? With Violet, when I was 24 years old, I took nothing. Hydroxychloroquine only. I think I also took 75 milligrams of aspirin every day with her. But no intralipids were even available at that time, certainly not that I knew of. I took no blood thinner injections. Um, I had no, you know, no autoimmune protocol. I was just a poor 20-something-year-old girl who got knocked up. So who knows what the answer is? Who knows what the answer is for you? I always want to help. You can reach out to me. You can email tellingeverybodyeverything at gmail.com if you have any questions about this stuff. I am ridiculously busy and very reluctant to hand my children over to a babysitter, as you know. But I do try to get back to these emails. I, uh, again, for like legal reasons, I am not a doctor. I do not have the answers. All I can tell you is what worked for me and encourage you to have a really curious, open mind about what might work for you. If someone says no to you, then, well, if you want to get, okay, so I went to Dr. Jason Diamond, who the Kardashians get skin treatments from. They won't say exactly what they get from him, but they'll show, you know, vampire facials and stuff over there. He does loads. He's like an amazing surgeon. I've seen him do facelifts. He's like, I think his specialty is definitely the face. I've seen him do incredible nose work, injectables. He's a hunk, beautiful family, beautiful kids. I went to see him in LA and I said, I've had silicone in my lips injected by a dodgy amateur when I was like 20 years old. Can you cut it out? He said, no. I said, oh, well, can you give me lip injections around it to make it less noticeable? He said, no. I said, well, I've seen this lip lift that a lot of people are getting where they get, you know, under their nose cut. And then that little distance between their nose and their lips, the filtrum reduced. I personally believe Kim K has had that, but I have no evidence of this apart from my own intuitions. I said, can I have that? He said, no. And I was like, well, what the hell? Why can't I have any of this stuff? And I almost started to cry. I didn't cry because that would have been awful. Just like a white woman crying in a Beverly Hills plastic surgeon's office. But I just was so dejected because I hated that I'd made a mistake when I was 20 and I couldn't fix it now. And I just hated how stupid I'd been. And I really thought that this guy was going to be the answer. And he just said, look, 
If I do that, it can cause more harm than good. The way you have a tiny little turned up nose, like a Dr. Seuss character, he didn't say that, but I know that's what he meant. He said, if I do this lip lift on you, it'll be so visible. A lot of people, that little scar is hidden because their nose hides up. It, it will be on show for you. You could, it could damage something. You could move your lips a funny way. Like, I just will not do this for you. When a doctor like that says no, then you have to take that no. If I were more immature, younger, I might have said, all right, and gone to a different doctor until I found a yes. But if you keep going to a plastic surgeon until you find a yes, if you go to like the best plastic surgeon and he says no, don't, don't keep looking until you get a yes or you will fuck up your face. But with regards to your uh, female anatomy, your sexual health, your fertility, stuff like that, that is very under-researched, and that has so much mixed advice all over the world, if you have an intuition that you think something different is going to work for you and you go to a doctor and they say no, then I would say go get a second opinion always and go, I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to keep having this trauma in my life and I feel like there's an answer for me somewhere. There isn't always an answer, but I feel like, you know, you got to get a little bit aggressive with this stuff. So ask me anything you want about it. I hope that it can help. I'm such a believer in autoimmune protocol. I don't think enough is known. Um, those of you with a super keen eye will notice I've had a, a really red nose all this pregnancy, just like I did with Fred. I really turn into Rudolph the red-nosed like fat ass when I'm pregnant. Um, that is a type of rosacea that there's no cure for. It is an autoimmune, you know, inflammatory response. That's just who I am, and I'm always going to have these little things. And that's why I know so much about them because I'm always, I won't accept no for an answer. Rosacea has no cure. All right. Fuck off. Like, I'm sure I can do something about it. So email me, telling everybody everything at gmail.com. If you are in the Kardashian family or you are someone who works with the Kardashian family, maybe a nail tech, would you please tell them to watch The Duchess on Netflix only because... I feel like I've predicted their lives. I'm exactly tuned into how they have kids and why. I understand where they're coming from. And if you don't have sympathy for Chloe, if you feel like, what the fuck are you doing having another baby with Tristan? That was my first reaction too. But then rewatch The Duchess and go, oh yeah, you know, I, I do, I do get the logic in it. All right. Some short messages now from our sponsors. And when we return, I will delve into your emails plus give you a little um, feedback on what happened to my sister last week. You will see if you follow me on Instagram at Kathbum that my sister woke up to find a strange man standing on her first floor balcony staring at her. Holy shit. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. First things first, in Canada and America and probably other countries that I have not been to, the ground floor is the first floor. If you walk into a home or apartment off the street and there are no stairs, then guess what? You're already on the first floor. Oh my God, what a cutie. We just had the doorbell go and I can answer the door from my phone, not bragging. And I look on the camera to see who's dropping something off. It was the postman, but it wasn't the postman. I love our usual postman. It was a little post girl, like a gorgeous, thin, teenage looking young postwoman. And good for her because what is she doing? Hustling, getting in the exercise, she's wearing like bike shorts and trainers. That was always my mom's dream job. My mom was like, I want to be the postman because back then we didn't change it to postwoman. My mom was just like, I want to be the postman. I could walk all the time. I don't think she had considered that we have quite difficult weather in Canada half the year. But she just thought, oh, what a wonderful way to stay fit. My mom is a computer systems analyst, so she worked at a desk and I feel like fresh air and walking was her dream. And this young gal is killing it and breaking the mold. So... Um, yes, in Canada, <laughs> if you are a postman and you deliver post through the mail slot, it lands on the first floor. That's the main floor, the ground floor, the first floor. In the UK and probably throughout Europe, the first floor is only reached when you walk up some stairs. So you walk into the house, that's the ground floor. Then you go up and it's the first floor. In Canada, that would be the second floor. If you've gone up any stairs, you're on the second floor. In the UK, that is the first. Then you go up again, that might be the second floor. It was confusing for me when I first moved here. It's confusing for my sister now. Carrie lives in Toronto. Um, her house, uh, her bedroom is on what is the second floor in Toronto, but what is the first floor here in the UK. So when I put on my Instagram, there was a man standing on the balcony, my sister's first floor. She was like, no, people have to know that he climbed a drain pipe. So like, let's please just meet that cultural language in the middle. You understand that my sister's sleeping. It's hot in Canada. She's got the fan on. She's got the double doors to her balcony wide open. No, they weren't open. They were closed, but they weren't locked. Aha. She's sleeping. The doors were closed but not locked. And to reach her balcony, there are no stairs from down below. You can only get to it from either the bedroom or by climbing, like a monkey, the drain pipe. So she opens her eyes, you know, when you're drowsy and you're like, huh, huh, sun's coming through. And she looks, there's a man just standing there. She doesn't live in a block of flats or a high-rise apartment where there would be a window cleaner or anything. It's a house. So a man came into the back garden saw her probably up sleeping through the window on the first slash second floor and climbed up there and was just ominously stood at the window looking at her. And when she noticed him, her first thought was, oh, because my parents are her landlords, she thought, oh, maybe like mom sent someone over to check something and didn't tell me, you know, when you're disoriented and you're asleep. And this is what's always really difficult about any attack is that you're not, you know, you're so shocked at first that it's very difficult to react. Luckily, he ran off. But if he had chosen, and my sister's husband wasn't home, if he had chosen 
to come into the house, that door was open and like the alarms wouldn't have gone off. He didn't like break a window or come in the front. It was really scary. And so I was thinking, what was he doing? Was he confused? Was he trying to commit a burglary? Was he trying to commit an assault? Was he just like a peeping Tom? Why? Sometimes I just question this behavior. Like, why do men do this? Because when I put it on Instagram, I received loads of responses about, I'm sorry, chiefly men doing this. Not Well, exclusively men doing this. Even though there was a very unsettling news story yesterday where David Beckham stalker, I don't know if you saw this, she's a woman um, who's been stalking David Beckham, has been arrested for it loads of times for harassment and all these different things. She turned up at Harper, his daughter's school, and said, hi, I'm Harper's mom. I'm, I need to take Harper with me. And the faculty was like, uh, zig zig nah, we know Harper's mom is Victoria fucking Beckham. Nice try. If you're going to try to pretend you're Victoria Beckham, you better be hot. You better be in a pencil skirt. Like You can't just be some stalker off the street. It's like, I'm Harper's mom. No, you're not. But how scary. And they had always shielded Harper from some of this information. Like I think a lot of very high profile celebrities probably have to all the time. But Harper, for whatever reason, knew about this, knew the woman was at the school and felt really scared. And I just think, Jesus Christ, like I told my daughter from a very young age, like I will never, ever send someone to get you from school. Never. Not a policeman, not like a family woman friend that you've never met, like not uh, another child, not someone who says that they work with me, not my bot, like no one. I will never ever send anyone to pick you up from anywhere without telling you and if someone tries to say that I sent them you freak the fuck out you scream fire 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 you bite you scratch you run you honk the horn you do anything you can do because like the grim advice they gave us when we were small and I hate you know this sends shivers down my spine but the grim advice even for grown people today is do not get to the second location because it is very unlikely you're coming back from the second location. So the first location, try to overcome that sense of initial shock and fear and politeness that's so ingrained. Like, oh, I don't want to cause a scene. Cause the biggest scene that you can. Throw yourself on the floor, kick, scream, bite, scratch. No, no, fire, 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 fire. Violet's known that all her life. And I feel like if there's any child who scratch your eyes out, it is it is Violet. So here are your responses, because I was like, what is happening with my sister? Like, who is on this balcony? What does he want? Have you had any experiences like this? You might think, oh, maybe one or two people have had a similar thing happen. No, tons, tons. My friend woke up with a stranger's penis in her face, luckily through a window. Oh, that is lucky. She's so lucky. People reported seeing a man wearing nothing but a clown mask in their gardens. Creep. A friend used to do this, drunk, to get into my fourth floor apartment. Sometimes he got stuck halfway. Like, that would be terrifying. That is no friend of mine. I had someone get into my hotel room when I was 15 and leave a rose on my pillow. Yes, I woke to a burglar standing over me. One time, a man climbed the wall of the bathroom stall I was in. I was just adjusting my trousers. Oh my God, I live in Halifax while the sleep watcher was... What? I don't know about this. I'm Googling the sleep watcher Halifax, and this is an article from thecoast.ca. A, a Canadian news outlet. Encounters with the sleep watcher. 
Hillary Windsor was enrolled in a summer course at Dalhousie in July 2010. The 22-year-old decided to dedicate an afternoon to studying on campus and headed to the Goldberg Computer Science Building. She chose the bright, windowed building for its quiet, study-friendly atmosphere and its proximity to coffee. Reading her textbook, she could feel her eyes getting heavier. It was only 4 p.m., still loud outside, and there weren't many people in the building, so she felt safe enough. 15, maybe 20 minutes of sleep couldn't hurt. She closed her eyes. 20 minutes later, she opened her eyes to find a stranger sitting on the couch across from her, the only other person in the cafe. He was staring at her intently with a look on his face that gave her mad, crazy vibes. Want to go out sometime? The stranger asked. She'd heard about the sleep watcher. During the past eight years, police say up to 25 sleep watcher-related incidents have been reported around the south and west ends of Halifax. Most recently, he is believed to have been snapping pictures of unsuspecting females through open blinds in their homes. Four of these photos were released this September after police discovered them during an investigation into a break-and-enter. They can't say for sure whether or not the photos were linked to the sleep watcher, but are hopeful that it will lead them toward making an arrest. So far, three of the four women photographed have come forward. Imagine that, like not even realizing and then seeing a fucking photo on the internet of you sleeping. In another recent sleep watcher case, a woman awoke to a man fleeing from her bedroom in the early hours of September 15th. Police held him for a night before releasing him, saying there wasn't enough evidence. That's the way it always seems to go with sleep watcher suspects. Well, that's great to know. That's sleep well tonight in the heat, everyone. Close your fucking windows. Somnophilia is a fetish in which a person becomes sexually aroused by seeing others sleep. The somnophiliac can get off on watching someone sleep, falling asleep, or the act of waking up. In some cases, the excitement comes from having sex with the sleeping person. Sleeping beauty syndrome, as it's sometimes known, isn't always dangerous. Consenting couples can indulge each other safely. Well, yes, this is true with any kink. But like anything sexual in nature, somnophilia becomes dangerous and predatory when people begin acting on impulse, focusing their attention on people who haven't given their consent, which is how the sleep watcher seems to be indulging his fetish. Well, thank you for... I love when we clarify this, because no one's trying to kink shame anyone, but it's like... It becomes a huge problem. I love when they're like, the kink, you know, it's problematic when someone doesn't give their consent. No, it's assault when someone doesn't give their consent. Even if your kink is like missionary, boring, vanilla sex, it's not like, well, you know, missionary, boring, uh, vanilla sex becomes a problem when one person hasn't given their... Yeah. Yeah. Oh. In the earliest sleep watcher incidents, women would wake up to a strange man in their bedroom standing in the doorway or at the foot of their beds. By 2009, women began reporting they'd been touched. In September 2010, a woman reported that her underwear had been cut with scissors during the encounter with the sleep watcher. For fuck. What happens in any kind of serial crime committing is that they get to a point where that's as far as they will go, but we don't know where that point is. We may not have seen as a serious crime as this person is willing to commit. Jesus. More responses. Yes. When I was 17 and in Cyprus, I woke up to a dude staring at me sleeping. A man entered my bedroom at night. House shares hookup. I picked him up and threw him the fuck out. Well done. Yes. My ex woke me in my bedroom at 4 a.m. Hello, barring order. Yeah, you definitely don't want a disgruntled ex making his way into your bedroom at 4 a.m. My father-in-law woke one night and some guy had climbed up onto the garage and round onto the extension and was just staring in through his bedroom window. He bolted when my father-in-law got out of bed. Police got him a few streets away and he was super high. 
My friend's hot brother used to watch me sleep. I used to wake up to him sat on my bed staring. Okay. And you still thought he was hot. Yeah, that's so hot. Isn't it crazy how like behaviors are hot if the person is someone you fancy? Like he held a stereo above his head in my garden and played love songs at me all night. Only romantic if that guy's hot. I had a drunk man lay next to me in the middle of the night. My roommates had left the front door open. Jesus Christ. There was a lot of this in Oxford a few years back. Terrifying. Yes, I once found a homeless man peering in my ground floor student bedroom window in London. In my communal flat at uni, I woke up to a guy from upstairs staring at me from the foot of my bed because the front door was left unlocked by accident. But it was all okay. I was just spooked. What is wrong with women? Oh, you know, but it was fine. It was fine because I'm alive now. But I mean, it was, I was just spooked by it. <laughs> you don't have to be so polite all the time. That guy is a somno, somnociliac, whatever it was. Oh, this happened to a mate of mine on holiday. He liked the look of my friend and assumed she wanted to fuck. That's great. I woke up to find a man in my room in Brazil. Third floor. He had climbed up to drain pipe. My pal's parents' house is on a main road. Her mom woke to a man standing in the window looking in. Like, what? this is happening. I'm not joking you. I have hundreds of messages like this. I live in the fifth floor and I still keep my blinds closed 24-7. I'm scared of pervs looking in. <sighs> okay, so I don't want to like... It's not your fault if you need a cool breeze and you want to leave the windows open, but this is how Bobby and I were robbed by leaving a window open. And God knows what could happen to my sister if this guy decided to try to see if the doors were unlocked. I'm convinced watching someone sleep is a sexual thing. And once again, if you are someone who gets off on people sleeping or on anything else, you cannot, you do not have permission to get off on that thing without their consent. So ladies, gentlemen, non-binaries, I know it's hot, but please lock your windows tonight. All right, I'm going to read only one email today because once again, you are all very literary, passionate people. You write me these long, 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 long emails and they're so interesting, but I think I'm going to have to hire someone to like, someone I trust, it's probably gonna be Joanne, to go through all these emails and make, you know, condense them so that I can read more of them because I really want to read them and I I don't, get to all of them. This one is so brave and probably a lot of people will identify with it, but they're not brave enough to say. And I don't know the answer to this email. I've just skimmed through. I really don't know, but I'm hoping maybe a listener might be able to point this person in the right medical direction while we're on the subject of like medicine and vaginas today. Catherine, I really don't care if you read my email, but I'm hoping I'll feel better just being able to get this secret off my chest. So long story as short as I can make it. 12 years ago, I met an older man. I was 24. He was 50. I didn't love him or anything. I just enjoyed an occasional night out getting drunk. I got pregnant, even though I dutifully took the pill. He very quickly turned emotionally and physically abusive, but I couldn't leave him because he made me feel like I wouldn't be able to raise my daughter without him. It wasn't until my daughter was 18 months old and I was basically doing the parenting on my own anyway, he choked me till I passed out and then I finally left him. A year later, I met an amazing man who was the total opposite to the previous cunt I'd been with, and he treated me amazingly and was so good with my little girl. I got pregnant again, on the pill again. Here's where I struggle to continue writing to you. 
Whilst pregnant with my son, I noticed a sore bit on my vag and I went to the doctor. They sent me to the sexual health clinic and I was diagnosed with vaginal warts. I was devastated. They told me my pregnancy hormones probably brought it on, but I could have had the virus for years without knowing. They said after I had the baby, they would probably go on their own. Telling my partner I had an STD, and he has probably got it also from me, was one of the worst conversations I've ever had. But again, he was amazing. We still have lots of sex, but just intercourse because I cannot bear for him to touch me or see me down there at all. It's been 10 years since I had my son, and I just got engaged to his father. We're getting married next year. But my warts never went away. They got worse. I had multiple treatments, freezing them, and they prescribed me an acid for me to use at home. But it hurts so much, I can't go about daily life walking or even going to the toilet is too painful. The treatments don't work. I'm trying to make a doctor's appointment, but it's so hard. And they just fob me off to the sexual health clinic, who never have appointments. And the last time I was there a few months ago, it was a very young trainee male who said, wow, I've never seen warts this big or bad before. They're worse than the pictures in my textbooks. He is correct. If you Google pictures, they have nothing on what I have growing between my legs. They've spread all over my vagina and anus. I stopped going to the doctor because each time I have to go and speak to them and strip down and lay myself bare, I feel so ashamed I literally want to die. I often think I would be better off dead. I wouldn't say I was suicidal per se, but I'm now getting to the point I think about cutting myself down there all the time. I look at my kitchen knives and scissors and I contemplate just stabbing my vagina. I've been referred to a gynecologist, but it's been eight months and I still haven't had an appointment. I'm losing my mind. My partner loves me and is totally not bothered that I'm riddled with grossness. That's so mean to say about yourself. And I'm really struggling to want to live. I haven't got many friends and I've never told another person this gross secret. I love my partner and my two kids so much, but I just don't want to be in constant pain and feel ashamed anymore. I'm sorry for the long email, but I felt I needed to get it off my chest and I thought it might make me feel better. It hasn't. I actually cried while writing this. My God. So I was diagnosed with HPV, um, but you couldn't see it at all. I assume it's the same virus, but a different strain of it. Um, You could only see it in like a colposcopy when they look at your cervix. And then there was like a little bit of uh, under the microscope, like a little almost white tinge to like that was all it was so I can't imagine if it was like visible painful warts on the outside it feels weird to me that they're painful I didn't know people could feel warts so I think maybe you're you've got like not the wrong diagnosis but maybe not an in-depth enough diagnosis that you need also the HPV virus because it is a virus it does flare with stress like any autoimmune response which is what we've been talking about all podcast so it's a terrible like cycle of you're ashamed about this you feel sad about this it hurts your you know your stress levels rise and then they get worse because you know you're experiencing a flare my instinct is that you need to see a specialist and an autoimmune specialist because and you need to be taking some type of like oral medication, not putting acid on your vag. I'm very confident that this can be fixed. Very confident. I just think you've been fobbed off and you haven't seen the right person. And I know what you mean. Like when you say, I'm not suicidal, but like this is such a chronic illness for me and it's detrimental to my self-worth. So it's just chipping away. I totally get what you mean. And if you have other um, 
autoimmune markers or you have an active virus in your body, it, they've shown that it actually affects your well-being and your brain. It can make you feel more stressed just because of like the chemistry that's going on in your body. So I'm not going to start, you know, guessing or Googling someone else's situation, but I know that we have a lot of really smart people and a lot of experts who listen. So if you have any points of uh, direction for this woman, if you suffer from the same thing, or if you've had an answer for something like this, or if you're a doctor, if this sounds like something that you know, and you have help for, please get in touch. The address is telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Don't worry. I know we're going to fix this. I know it because too many doctors put out the smoke and not the fire, and we're going to find someone to address your fire. Thank you so much for listening to Telling Everybody Everything, for writing letters to tellingeverybodyeverything at gmail.com. I will get to more of them next week. Joanne, if you're listening, I'm going to text you shortly and give you the password to my email so that you can condense some of these really juicy ones. And we will go weeks back because I've missed too many emails because we've been short on time and I don't have a producer. So Joanne, you're going to be my unofficial producer because you're a teacher and you have the summer off in your face. Um, I really appreciate listening. I also appreciate you keeping uh, the little news I told you secret because I don't need my enemies finding that out. All right? Let's just keep that between us. Our little secret. Um, not that, you know, it's a se- It's not a secret. I just don't feel like advertising it because that's who I am. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.